Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. Today is part two of our Beth C interview. Hi, Beth. We've been trying to figure this out for a little bit now. I think we got it down. <laughs> Hopefully, fingers crossed. All right. So where we last picked off was when your brother got home from group a group home. Yes, my brother <laughs> got home from a group home probably around when I was twelve, and um, he we learned that he had schizophrenia when he was in the group home. And um, they released him when he was 18, and so being 18, he didn't have to take his meds. So he got off his meds and um, started drinking and then using methamphetamines. And uh, schizophrenia and meth are really bad mixture. Um, do, you, do you know where he was getting all his drugs from? Um, around, you he know. He's a young kid, right? Well, I mean, I was getting drugs too when I was thirteen. This is true. Where you did know, you at, like, the, at, at that at that age? Who would you know? It's then again, part of my language. I guess there are scumbags out there that'll sell to the thirteen year old. There is, there is, you know, and and but that's the thing too. Like, it was more like me getting it from like a sixteen, seventeen year old that was getting it from somebody else. You know, like it wasn't very common, at least in North County, for a dealer to deal to a 13 year old. Like that's that's pretty against the rules, you know. Like it was more me getting it from somebody else that got it from that person. You like know, middleman. Gotcha. Yeah, exactly. Like a middle middleman. You know, like yeah, that's not very acceptable. You know. Um, so I got that one right. <laughs> um, so we, me, my brother and I were both in our addiction at this time. Um, I was still cutting, you know, struggling with bulimia. My little brother was, you know, ditching school and partying too. We had our party house. Um, you know, a week before my older brother died, he was trying to make his amends to me somehow for the abuse um, that was put on me when I was younger. Uh, I didn't let my mom know uh, the first Christmas he was back, actually, because he tried to apologize to me about what he had done. Um, at first, she didn't believe him, which I didn't blame her, you know, because it's a hard hard thing to to understand your baby hurting your baby. Um, you know, a couple of days later, she ended up giving me a hug and letting me know that she did, you know, believe me what happened. Um, I don't know if it was her confronting him about that because she never let me know she confronted him about it or if it's just his drug addiction, but he was kicked out, um, no longer allowed to live with us. Um, you know, my mom was working two jobs trying to keep a roof over her head, you know, and Carl's bad with single mom. It's not easy. Um, Do you know where your brother went at the time when he got thrown out? When he got thrown out, I knew he went to the streets, you know, where we all go, the streets, you know, try to go find someone, you know, same park, different place, you know, if parks is where we always go. Anyone that's kicked out the street, you go, to, you go to a park, and when you go to a park, it's where you meet everybody, you know, that's where you accepted, you know. Uh, so he, you know, we we're both in our addiction. Um a week before he died, it was him trying to make amends for what he had done. 
So there was him ODing on pills and getting 5150, which 5150 is um, is a harm to yourself or harm to others. So if you're trying to kill yourself or hurt yourself or if you're trying to hurt someone else. And before you're 18, you can legally be 5150 and be held for at least three days and not be able to sign yourself out because you're not 18. But once you're 18, you know, you can get signed in 5150, but you can sign yourself out. And um, yeah, we were talking about that before. It makes no sense. <clears throat> yeah, no, it doesn't make sense. It really doesn't, you know, but um, you know, when you're 18, you're 18, you know, um, should be 21, truthfully. You know? um, but yeah, so that week of him trying to make amends and killing himself the last the last day was him locking my me and himself into our house, and I kicking my mom and my brother outside, and us arguing, and me, me just not knowing how to process him, trying to make amends, you know, not knowing why he was doing what he was doing, you know. Um, so I didn't. There's a small, a very small part of me that forgave him because he was my brother, you know, and I didn't want him to kill himself. But truly, like, he knew I didn't forgive him, you know. And um, and so at some point, um, at some point, you finally got him to open up the door and um, we look outside and there's a whole bunch of cops, you know, with tasers and guns pointed at him. And, you know, I don't, something, I, I think it, it clicked to him that, what, I didn't. Was, I didn't. What did he? You, you said he walked outside to police with tasers and guns. What? Did, what happened? No, he he let me go outside first. Well, what happened that he there were police there? Uh, my mom called the cops and let them know that. Where were you at home? Had, yeah, at home. That you he gotta, had. You gotta, you gotta explain that one to us. <laughs> yeah, we're at home. She he she called the cops because he had shoved my mom and my brother outside. And locked me in the house with him, and he was threatening to kill himself in front of me. And so, with previous 5150s, you know, him trying to kill himself, you know, it wasn't just a couple of cops, it was a whole bunch this time, you know, because it's considered like a hostage situation. You know, he had a knife to his throat and he had me locked in the house. Um, and so, he finally opened up the door because he, he realized that I, like, nothing was going to happen. Like, I didn't. I was, we were mad at each other, you know, I didn't forgive him, even though I didn't want him to kill himself, I couldn't forgive him for what he had done, you know, and um, so he opened the door, he let me go outside, he, he went and grabbed my snake, which we both loved animals, so I don't, you know, I think that was his final, like, pushing us away, you know, pushing me away, like, okay, fine, um, so he threw my snake outside, and I snapped, and I was like, fuck you, just go kill yourself. You know, and um, and so they they got him down outside, and they arrested him, and they took him to the hospital, and he they let him check himself out a couple hours later, and because he was eighteen, they couldn't hold him, and uh, you know, me and my mom and my brother at home, just, you know, trying to wind down after all of that and um probably about uh 10 maybe 10 30 um we got the cops came to the house and 
came to the door with his bloody skateboard and he had stepped in front of the train. Um, he stepped in front of the Amtrak. So, you know, it was, it was fast, you know, but it was, uh, it was, you know, later on, we ended up finding out that one of our friend's moms was right there when he did it, you know, and. So this was in front of people? Yeah, it was right in front of people, you know, right in front of Coyote, you know, right next to the transit center, downtown Carlsbad, there's bars everywhere. There's people everywhere, you know. A lot of of people witnessed this stuff. Yeah, a lot of people witnessed it, you know, and when you get hit by a train, a fast-moving train, like, your body gets chopped up. So there was just, like, body parts flying everywhere. And one of our friend's moms got hit with body parts and bruises all over her like you know from this happening and fucking gnarly um so at this point um you know my mom had relapsed you know don't blame her um you know and me and my family just went nuts just didn't go to school you know cops were coming to our house all the time because we were on the star program you know because legally you have to go to school you know, and so the cops would come in the morning, come pick us up, take us to school, and we would ditch, you know, it was just like a daily occurrence, um, and then, you know, they gave us leniency, because they knew what happened, you know, they, they know that we were messed up, and, you know, so they, they're, they're, they're patient and lenient with us, um, you know, like, the days that I did go to school, like, I would ditch class, and sometimes I would just, like, go into the office, and they would let me sit in the office, and just, like, talk to the therapist or just like do office stuff like answer the phones or print things or help the nurse you know just because I couldn't be in class with people but I didn't want to be on the streets you know um so I kept on using by the time I got to high school um I myself have been 15 15 multiple times um um by the time I was about 16 um, something clicked, you know, I was just like, okay, my brother's dead. I'm trying to kill myself. My mom's going to have two dead kids. Like, I can't do this to her, you know? Um, so finally I asked for help, you know, at first it was, it, it didn't, you know, get to them because I'd been 5150 so many times that they were just like, she's just thinking 5150 and sent back home, you know, like after three days and we're going to keep on doing this, you know? And so I really had to tell them, you know, like, if you don't get me help, I'm going to go home right now and hang myself. Like, that's just what I'm going to do, you know? And they got me on a special um, program, AB 2627, something like that, where the government um, or the state pays for you to go to a program. So I went to a year residential treatment treatment center for dual diagnosis for mental and drug abuse. Oh, that's great. When was, um, yeah, when I was 16. Yeah, it's called Oak Dual Diagnosis. Yeah, it was the best thing I ever did. It changed my life. Like, it really, really did. You know, like, that that small click in my head of, like, don't do this to mom, you know, and going to that place, best thing I ever did. You know, it, it taught me a lot of coping mechanisms, you know, like, it not only sent me to 12-step for myself, but, you know, going to Alateen, you know, and understanding, you know, the, the ways on how, why other people use, not just me, but to understand my other loved ones and their addiction. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's the best thing I ever did. Um, 
I stay clean for a while. Um, What's a while? Um, I was there for a year, so it's been a year. Moved in with my aunt and uncle because I didn't want to go from like super strict like stability structure to bam being home and mom never being there and me being able to do whatever I want, you know. So I moved yeah. into my aunt's house up in the mountains. So I was, you know kind of like cut off from life like I, I it was a step down like I had to bring them you know there was alcohol in the house you know like if I wanted to relapse I could have you know but um I stayed clean there um I tried to do school online and it just didn't I couldn't concentrate I couldn't do it um it's, so it was probably like two years I stayed clean um yeah because once I turned 18 that was when I got that money you know, from my, from our dad dying and my mom suing him, me and my older brother that killed himself got twenty thousand when we turned eighteen, and me, me not knowing how to have money or ever having money, I spent it really quick. I gave it away, like I spent it on drugs and gave it away and just didn't know what to do with that money. Um, it's the first, of course, I relapsed on weed and alcohol, and then I don't know, like a month later, I relapsed on meth. Um, so I had about two years clean. Um, it was a long time. Yeah, it was a long time, especially after all of that. You know, like all that happening and boom, okay, I'm going to stay clean. But I mean, the first year I wasn't programmed, so I had to stay clean, you know? Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I relapsed when I was 18. That was just... Um, not long after my 18th birthday, uh, my mom had stopped working, you know, the depression just had gotten her, you know. Um, so we ended up, me and my mom and my brother ended up homeless in um, Carlsbad, where my brother had killed himself, you know, like, here's the tracks, and here's a bar, and there's a little park right here, and we would hang out in that park because that was one of the homeless parks, you know, like literally right next to the tracks that he killed himself, you know, just torturing ourselves, you know, um, just getting high every day and drinking every day, you know, like I would go and hit the pipe, you know, away from my mother, you know, my mom would mostly drink. I'm pretty sure she was doing that at that time, but, um, just really using pretty bad, um, I met a guy and, I, you know, it's, you know, he was the typical, like, looking gangster. Like, I, I should have known better, but I was, you know, self-interest behavior. I was in my addiction. I was like, oh, cool, bad boy, let's do this. Um, and so he was great, you know, first couple of weeks. <laughs> and uh, we went to the mall one day because he had paid to do surveys at the mall. And, um. Uh, I, I didn't realize it at the moment, but he was schizophrenic too. And um, so we leave the mall and he's he's like, give me your purse. I'm like, okay. You know, I give him my purse and he starts tripping out. He starts searching it, throwing everything out of there. And he's like, I know you were talking to him. And I know you got his number. I'm like, what? Okay, what are you tripping on? Like, like I knew he drank, but I didn't think that he did any other drugs. Like we smoked weed every once in a while together, but like he didn't like doing drugs. And so it was like drinking every once in a while, smoking weed every once in a while. So I, I didn't think he was tripping, you know? And um, 
So in his head, I had gotten some dude's phone number at the survey place, and I was trying to meet up with him or something. And I was like, what, dude, like, what's going on with you? Like, we can go in and figure this out right now. Let's go inside, you know? And we go to walk to inside, and I thought I had run, ran into the glass doors, but I hadn't. He had smacked me so hard that I freaking almost blacked out and went back and, um, and that's just like, once I got up and I realized what happened, I was like, oh, what the fuck with this dude? Okay, I got to get away from this dude. So, like, I made it into the um, into the mall and I made it to a security guy. And I'm like, hey, it's my, my boyfriend. Like, he just hit me. Like, I need to get away from him, you know? And I, so I got away from him. I ended up taking the bus, you know, back up to Carlsbad. And um, a couple of weeks later, he he – he borrowed his friend's car and grabbed me. He kidnapped me. And for a year straight, I was in these, uh, this bamboo field. And I didn't know exactly where I was. Like, I, I came out every once in a while to, like, we would go out and, like, get some food and stuff. But, like, I didn't recognize the area. And, um, sooner or later like I saw all these signs and I saw like shit and I was like okay I'm somewhere in Oceanside which is right next to Carlsbad but I had no idea where I was and he was with me 24 7 like I went to the bathroom he was right outside the door and I wasn't allowed in there you know or he wasn't allowed he would stay right there like nobody else could like get near me um probably six months into it like he let me call my mom and you know I call and I'm like okay I'm okay I love you you know that's all I got to say you know, and um, he wouldn't, he wouldn't even let me drink or smoke weed, like, I had to stay sober through his craziness, you know, like, we just feel like sitting there at our camp, and next thing you know, he start tripping, like, he's talking to me, because he's schizophrenic, you know, he start talking to somebody, and, like, he'd be like, you should go for a walk, and I'd be like, oh, shit, this is my time, I'm gonna go for a walk, you know, and I start walking away, and I start getting away, and I start going down this path that we've gone down before to get away from him, and then he started chasing me, you know, and he's like, nope, come back here. And I'm like, fuck, dude, like, there is schizophrenia and this, like, the borderline of, like, part of him wanted to let me go. And then I would have a chance to start, like, getting away from him. And then the other part would come back and be like, nope, come back, you know. And um, that happened for about a year. And um, one day he, he was drinking and he tripped out and... He started stabbing himself with a fork and I was just like, okay, you know, trying not to look, but like, okay, what's he doing? You know, and he stopped and he's like, you need to run now, just fucking run. And I ran as fast as I could and I got out there and I got to, um, I didn't want to go to the residential area because I've been out there before and he's beat me before out there and nobody did anything when I was screaming for help. And so I saw a fire department and I ran to the fire department and rang the doorbell and was like, you better let me in and told him the situation. And um, I had them 5150 me because I was so messed up in the head from his manipulation and like from being held against my will that I just like, I didn't want to snitch him out because I was scared. I was like, he was going to find out that I told everybody, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, so I had him, had the fire department 5150 me because I just couldn't like I didn't have anywhere to go I didn't want to see my mom 
I was scared to say anything. I just wanted to be safe. And that's the safest place I felt was in a hospital. Um, so they held me there for about two weeks because I was just, the PTSD was so bad that I was like shaking randomly and like, um, you know, not hearing things, but his voice echoing in the back of my head, you know, that, that I just, I needed I needed they had to put me on medication because I just I couldn't sleep I couldn't like shake I was still in shock you know yeah um and then once I got let out of there um I went back to the streets and I started of course using really fucking hard um you know went straight to the bottle drinking vodka uh smoking weed and I was like okay where's the pipe out I need meth <laughs> you know because I was the only that made me completely feel numb um so I did that I got in a couple another couple relationships um you know the person that I dated right after that um was very gentle was not abusive whatsoever you know the only problem was we had the same birthday and we were both Aries and Aries should not date. Like it was just really, we were really good at being bad together. You know, like we went and lived in a canyon for like two and a half years and just drink half gallon of vodka every freaking day. You know. Hi. You want to give me a hug? So it was just our addiction was really bad together. Um, but he was not abusive whatsoever. Um, he was a really sweet person. Um, but he had seizures, like he was, he was, he wasn't supposed, he was one of those people that should not drink or use drugs because he already had a seizure um, disorder, but the alcohol and any drugs would make it way worse. So he had seizures like almost every other day, like pretty bad. Um, so um, we ended up breaking up because I couldn't, I couldn't stand, being a part of me of like I could kill myself drinking and doing drugs but I couldn't watch myself do it with him anymore you know like I couldn't see the seizures anymore like I knew he needed to get help so I you know I told him you know I love you but we got to break up before we can't even be friends before we mess it up too bad and um so I broke up with him um and of course I jumped to another relationship and um I ended up getting pregnant um, and of course you know me and my addiction him being who he was um, he's like the son of the sergeant or corporal or whatever at this army navy academy at Carlsbad so it was you know the son thank you baby, the son getting a homeless chick pregnant was not good you know um, in this ritzy titsy town, you know, being a corporal and all that. Um, so, you know, he was like, okay, you're gonna have to have abortion. I'm like, I can't do this. Like, I've already, I had one when I was 13, or fort, no. That's young. Yeah, no, I wasn't 14. I was, I was a pregnancy scare. I had uh, abortion when I was 18. So I was, I was gonna have another one at like 23. Yeah, 23. And so I got scared and I ran away. And I ran away with that boyfriend that I just broke up with. And I relapsed on meth because uh, I wasn't 
doing meth when I was with the person I was pregnant with. And uh, so like two months clean off meth. Um, but I ran away to my ex-boyfriend, started using meth again. Um, and so at some point I was like, okay, I gotta do something. Like I'm either gonna stop doing drugs and give this child up for adoption or like, I got to do something because it's getting, it's growing, you know? And um, so I was like, okay, fuck, I can't do this to him. I have to go back to him. So I went back to him and I had an abortion and it was pretty fucking late, you know? Um, I just vaguely remember going to this place, driving in a cab, like going pretty far, pretty close to the border. Um, and I know that it was illegal because it's a shady ass place you know, and um, when it was happening, like, you could literally hear, like, babies crying, and then not, like, they were literally killing kids, like, killing babies at this place, um, you know, it's just fucking horrible, um, so I had that killing babies, what do you mean they were killing they were babies? Killing, like, you can literally, like, when he went in there, and he went into the back, like, this one girl that was next to me was probably about six, seven months pregnant. And they and like an abortion on And they abort yes, and they aborted the baby. Like, and when you're back there, before I took any fucking drugs that they gave me, I heard babies crying and then not crying. You know, like you could tell that there was a baby that was killed. You know? And it was just like the most horrific fucking shit, like like I'm not gonna lie, I'm triggered right now. You know, like, uh, it was fucking traumatizing, like, you know, um, so that was, um, that, that broke me pretty hard. I think that, that broke me harder than my brother killing himself did. Um, okay, real quick. Thank you. Perfect timing. Um. Um, okay, so after this happened, um, I was staying with him, and, like, he had opened up to me, you know, he was like, I, I don't, I do care about you, but I don't, I'm letting you know that I'm going to open up to you, and just don't break my heart, you know, and he was a good guy, you know, besides, you know, what pretty much his dad had almost forced us to do, which couldn't blame him, you know. But at the same time, she had done a lot earlier, you know. Um, I snapped after I had the abortion. I broke. Um, you know, I just, I couldn't handle what I had just done. I couldn't tell him what had, what I heard in the clinic. Like, I didn't want to, I didn't want to freak him out more than he was already freaked out. And um, so I pushed him away. You know, I told him to stop caring about me. You know, that I didn't love him, leave me alone, you know, and that was me um, pushing him away. Go play, baby. No, that was me pushing him away so that I can get the fuck out of there and go get high, you know, because I wasn't ready. You know, he, he wanted me to help, my, help myself, get, you know, get myself together and he was going to help me, but I wasn't ready to get clean. Um, so I pushed him away and I left and I went and got high and just kept on getting high um there's a point oh my 
God, just, you know, just sitting in that park, just getting high every single day, you know, and my mom getting drunk and all messed up, and my brother in and out of juvie, you know, and, um, and, uh, at some point, this fucking, this dude, my mom's friend, he got really loaded and told me about something. He told me that he told me that he went to this party and um, pretty much he had bought this girl from the mother for some dope. And like in his words, she didn't want it, but he took it and pretty much saying that he raped her. And He's like, fucking drunk off his ass, shows me the phone, shows me a picture of the girl, and I know the girl. She was one of my my little brother's friends, and she was probably about me, 14, just turned 15 at the time. And, and so I just, like, I snapped. Um, I ran around town telling everybody what he'd done. Um... So something that needed to be done, you know, that, that hit a spot like that, you know, from all the abuse that I had been through that I hadn't worked through, like that just, it just made me snap. So I went around town telling everybody what he did, you know, and, and I wouldn't shut up about it. I was like, something needs to be done. You know, the cops knew, but they didn't have any evidence. They couldn't, she wasn't going to say anything, you know? Um, and so finally one day I snapped and I, you know, I was just like, we have to do something about this, you know, and fucking ended up stabbing the guy, and you did? I ended up stabbing him, yeah, you know, because I was so irate, I was drunk, you know, um, where'd you stab him? Just, yeah, I stabbed him in the, in the, on the right, no, on the left side, and in his stomach, and, um, I don't know, but for some reason, I thought that was my responsibility that I needed to stab this guy, you know, and, you know, I stabbed him and I had him jumped, you know, I had him jumped by a whole bunch of people and, um, yeah, and just ran off and got drunk some more. And, um, you know, of course, he wasn't going to open his mouth of what happened. The cops had heard the rumors about what he had done. Um, you know, and he went to the hospital and for some reason, you know, like where, thank you, baby. Like for some reason, like where I had stabbed him, he had some kind of cancer. And so if I wouldn't have stabbed him right there, he was going to die from it. The cancer that he had in the stomach and that had like saved him. I'm like, what the fuck? Okay. Like, you know, and I wasn't ready to deal with God at that time whatsoever you know um whatsoever but um yeah that was gnarly you know um and every once in a while you know the cops would arrest him and they're like rough him up you know because they they knew what he had done you know and but they didn't have any evidence they couldn't do anything to him so they rough him up every once in a while you know um i ended up meeting uh, a friend that I had met when I was pregnant, when I was staying in the canyon with my ex, 
I met this friend, they let us stay at their house. And later on, after this happened, after the abortion, after I stabbed this guy, um, he'd asked me to come over if I wanted to hang out, you know, get stoned. And I was like, yeah, might as well, you know, get away from all this shit. Um, so I went to his house and got stoned and ended up staying with him. You know, I stayed clean you, off the mat. What'd you get stoned on? Just weed. Yeah, we were just smoking weed because he didn't, I mean, he drank, but he just smoked weed. He didn't do really any drugs. Um, so I ended up staying with him, dating him, and moved in there and uh, stayed clean off the meth for about two years. Um, he moved my mom and my brother in, so the whole family was off the streets. Um, and uh, it was going pretty good, you know, until like, um, he let me know that he wanted to be in like an open relationship, you know, and I wasn't all for that. I didn't know how to do that. You know, I was just like, if I was with somebody, I was with that person. I didn't know how to be, you know, I wasn't into that, you know, and at this point I had like fallen in love with him, you know, so that was like, it broke my heart. I was like, fuck, yeah. this is my, this is my karma. You know, I finally fell in love with someone and this is my karma, you know, you broke somebody's heart, now you're gonna get your heart broken, you know, um, and so I started, <laughs> I started selling weed, and I started, you know, when you sell weed, people want to trade for other things, you know, so I started getting meth back in my pocket, and I started using again, and, um, and I didn't really want to be home because, he was going on like dates, you know, and he wanted to be in this open relationship. My heart was broken and I was furious, you know, and I was using drugs again. He kind of knew, but he didn't really say anything, but he knew something was up. Um, so, um, um, a neighbor that like was getting kicked out of his house, he moved into the backyard into their greenhouse because they built a greenhouse and he was like our gardener and he's, you know, helping out with cleaning up the house and um Mommy, and one second baby broken. Mm -hmm, that's okay. okay and so this gardener moved into our backyard into the greenhouse and like since I didn't want to like go and hang out with my boyfriend you know because of everything that happened him going on the dates I would just come home and like go out in the backyard and hang out with this guy who would have like campfire going it was just like chilling we'd smoke weed together you know and um, he did mess and I did mess, but we didn't do it together, you know, like, cause he didn't want to like cause that like awkwardness at the house or anything like that. And, um, so, you know, I started talking to him about like how we had broken up and how he's dating other people, you know, and all this good stuff. And we ended up hitting off. We were friends for probably like, I don't know, a couple months before, you know, I kissed him you know and uh, next thing you know we're smoking splife, splifes which is weed tobacco with meth in it oh wow and it's a joint <laughs> yeah and those were the bomb dude yeah I loved those things and we would just smoke it and just have a good old time in the backyard you know or run, do not do that or like run around on our bikes you need to go draw the table baby um have a good old time you know um and we ended up finally getting together and 
at this point, I was just staying in the greenhouse with him, you know, and um, we're together for probably a couple months till um, he got a call from his family that his um, his grandma had died in Wisconsin. And so he had to go to the funeral. So I, you know, broken hearts, just started dating this guy right in front of my ex-boyfriend's face because he's dating other people. Jumped on a plane and went to Wisconsin with him, dropped everything. Um, we stayed out there for about six weeks and came back. And uh, when we were out there, we didn't do any meth, but there was a lot of, uh, his mom had a lot of fentanyl patches out there and pills like Valium and all kinds of stuff. I, I didn't do fentanyl. I would never touch that stuff, but I did the Valium like every single day. Um, and we was like super, super um, illegal out there, but we smoked weed like once when we were out there and the alcohol is super cheap. Um, but we ended up coming back and we came back and like, there's, you know, nothing. We left the whole backyard of the greenhouse with, you know, tweaker shit out there, you know, a huge mess. And um, so we couldn't stay there. So we went out into the streets. So we ended up staying at a, um, a mutual friend's house, which was, you know, party house. Party house? <laughs> yeah, party house. And um, that's when he started getting uh, controlling and so abusive and um, you silly woman. You're silly. So fast forward um, a little bit. Tell us about your recovery. When did when did you decide to get sober? I decided to get sober when I got pregnant with my daughter. Um Altogether, I was on the streets for nine years, um, and you know, I when I got pregnant with Travis, the man we were just talking about, um, you know, he he ended up being hooked on um, on heroin and meth, and it made him very violent. And he didn't he didn't want to have a kid, you know. Like at first, he wanted to have a kid, but once I was actually pregnant, Wait, he, go, go back. Travis was your son. No, Travis was the, the father. The father so was of my child. Okay. Yeah, he started getting um, John Heron went and messed together, and that made him very violent. Um, and so once I told him I was pregnant, he was he was um, months before that he was fine with having a kid, but once I was actually pregnant, he didn't want anything. He was like, "You need to have abortion. Like, you can't do this. Like, I'm too hooked on heroin. Like, I'm not gonna stop." And um, you know, he tried to, he said the worst things he could possibly say to try to get me to have an abortion. And um, I told him I couldn't, I couldn't do it again. I was going to do it with or without him. And I did continue using for a couple months, um, but I stopped and um, I was just smoking weed, but I stayed on the streets the whole freaking time pregnant because I was so codependent and uh, worried about him. I didn't want him to OD, you know? Um once I had my daughter, uh, we stayed with his family for a few months. I stayed clean probably a month before I started using meth again. And um, we got kicked out of their house because we were using drugs and sent to a shelter that we ended up getting kicked out of um, because me and my big mouth and coming down. Uh, and so we got put back onto the streets and here I am with this baby and I'm like I can't have my baby on the streets like well, you know what the hell so my my friend came and picked her up kept her for about a week and the homeless outreach team in Carlsbad let me know about um 
this program called Safe Families, where they'll take care, you know, they'll hold on to your child, the host family will take care of your child for a short period of time, you know, like if you're on the streets or you go to rehab or something like that. And so at this point, um, CPS got involved in there, you know, I'm a homeless person, a drug addict with a kid, where's my kid at, you know, and I'm like, okay, this is where she's at. And um, they're like, okay, we can voluntarily open up a case and drug test you right now and keep on drug testing and getting you into program, or we can take you to court. And I didn't want on paper a dirty test. So I knew I was dirty. They knew I was dirty, you know, but I didn't want a paper that I was dirty. Uh, so like, you just have to take me to court. And um, so I stayed on the streets and I kept on getting high for about three months. You know, my daughter was this was with this family. And um, at the end of my addiction, I remember the, the very last time I got high, I was sitting in a bush and I was hitting the pipe and my mind and my addiction tried to start convincing me that I had already lost my daughter and I hadn't. And that's when I, I threw the pipe and I ran out of that bush, you know, and I was just like, fuck, I can't do this anymore, you know? So I got a hold of the homeless outreach team. I was like, yeah, you got to take me to a program now because I, I just, I can't do this anymore. And so that was June 26th of 2019. And I've been clean since. So now I live in a sober living. I went to Kiva, um, a residential program for three months. And I went to an outpatient program for about nine months. And now I'm the manager at a sober living. And in June, I'll have three years clean. Congratulations, that's awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Sounds like you're on the right path. I am, I am. It's not easy, but. I am, you know, for the first time I'm, I'm clear headed, you know, after two years, I got off medication, you know, cause I wanted, I wanted to, I want to deal with my issues, you know, I want to deal with, I don't want to numb them out with um, pills, you know, cause after, a, after a while, even prescribed pills become, you know, a crutch, Yeah. you know, um, at least to me, you know, I was, I was on the, for the two years, I felt borderline high, you know, like I was numbed out. Um, so yeah, the last year I haven't had any medication. Quit smoking a month ago, which that was gnarly, you know. But um, yeah, I'm working my steps. I have a sponsor. I go to meetings four to five times a week. Um, yeah, I love it. It's the best thing I ever did for myself, you know, for my daughter. Like, uh, I get to keep my daughter. You know, I get to see her grow up. You know, I just got her backpack and she's excited about going to school, you know, like, yeah. so it's, it's amazing. It's, you know, um, I'm That's grateful for the things that, I'm grateful for everything, you know, everything that happened. Um, it's made me very humble, you know, it's made me, yeah. it's, it's grounded me. It's made me very grateful. No, I, know that I made feeling. it out. It made it out. So my last question before we wrap this up is, do you have any advice for people listening or watching? Yes. Um, give it to God. It doesn't matter, you know, what God you may believe in or don't believe in. Find something, even if it's a waterfall, you know, I believed in a waterfall for some point in my life, like nature, if you need, um, just do it you won't regret it. You really, really won't. There's going to have tough times, but 
I there's a saying that I wouldn't trade my best times high for my worst times sober. You know, like it's it's amazing, and it's and once you get clean, you do it. You're like, it's like, wow, why didn't I do it sooner? You know? Yeah. Um, and just to take it take it with a grain of sand. You know, they're life lessons. Every, I believe everything happens for a reason. You know, it's just a chapter of your life, and make you. It doesn't kill you; it makes you stronger. That's for sure. There you go. That's some great advice. So yeah. So anybody that is watching or listening, if you like what you heard, go below and click subscribe and give us a like. Check us out on Reddit, Twitter, Instagram, or also on Facebook. If you find the Addicts Anonymous Facebook group. You can click on the events tab and it'll show you the information for our nightly Zoom meetings at 6.30 Eastern Standard Time. There'll be a link there for everything and all the info to get it. So that's all we have for today. And until next time.